The Trials of Apollo, The Hidden Oracle, Chapter 29. Nightmares of torches, and a man in purple clothes, but that's not the worst. I had never been so happy to see a killing field. Hi, I'm Ava. I'm Neve. And I'm Brayden. And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood, the English class that you always wanted. Where we analyze the Percy Jackson and Heroes of Olympus books through a new theme every week. Yay! Yay! Neve, Ava, how are we this week? Oh, loaded question. Um, well, I'm so back. <sighs> I mean, you are so back. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I was trying to say, well, I'm so back. I'm so back. I'm so back, everyone. No, but I meant I'm so glad to be back on the silly little podcast because I miss my my friends um, quite a bit, and I haven't gotten the chance to listen to last week's episode, but I'm very excited to. Um, but yeah, so I'm very glad to be back here on this podcast specifically. But uh, so I don't know what depth. I don't even remember if I explained why, what I was going to be doing the last time I was on. Um, but I just took like a three-ish week study abroad trip for one of my classes to Ireland. And I just got back yesterday and dead ass. I, I was just telling Brayden and you before this recording started, one of the best experiences of my whole life. Um, I am so crazy sad that it's over. I'm still going through all the pictures and all the everything. And I'm going to be talking about it for a long time because I now understand the people who study abroad and aren't able to shut up about it. Um, so thank God I wasn't gone for a whole semester, right? Because then I'd be unsufferable. But um, yeah, it was just so incredible. And I'm still a little jet lagged. I fell asleep at like 8.30 p.m. last night. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm very much hashtag smile because it happened trying to channel that. Um, but yeah, I'm chilling. These chapters were fucking brutal. So I'm also excited to talk about them. How are you, Neve? <laughs> I'm good. Nothing, nothing much new here. Um, working a lot. Uh, I saw Brayden over the weekend, so that was super exciting. We went to tour apartments in, did we say we we're removing? Yeah, we did. Both of you are? Okay, I'm like scared. <laughs> Wait, Neve, you are too? Yeah, I thought we all, oh, we went over that at Kelly's Grove. Oh, you, you've been in in uh, Ireland, huh? So that's yeah. exciting. We have to fill out an application because um, we think we found one that we're, that we like a lot. Well, like we do like it a lot. We just think we've decided. So that's exciting. Um, to have a plan post summer, uh, but other than that, just working to make that possible. So working all the time, working two jobs, plus doing freelance stuff. Um, but it's all good. I honestly really, I started my second job today, and I honestly really like it. It's just like a really cool place to work. Wait, and it's I don't literally so local to my town, and I'm kind of sad that I didn't like apply earlier quite honestly I was like there today like why did I not apply to this when I was in high school um so that was fun wait oh my god I need to I need all the information I also watched drag race in three weeks I like I'm really out of it yeah it was a lot of catching up when I was away 
Yeah. But holy shit, I didn't know you were moving there too. Wait, so you guys are living together? (laughs) Yes. Yes, Guys, we're all having revelations on this podcast. I'm so excited. How are you, Brayden? Uh, I'm all right. I... Today's one of those days where, like, I had to plan out my day very uh, minute to minute, and it just all went out the window because just, like, not in a bad way, just in a way I've been, like, really, really rolling along because I just, like, things keep coming up, like, small things that just keep pushing off my schedule, and which is annoying, but, like, I, like, ran into someone from elementary school at the gym, and then, like, I, my I literal worst nightmare, but okay. yeah, but there are just a bunch of like things that that slowly were delaying me. So, uh, but we're all good. We go to work after this, which I'm not excited at all for. But I'm very excited to talk about these chapters in the meantime. Yeah. Well, welcome back to Return to Camp Half Blood. Uh, this week we'll be discussing. The Trials of Apollo, The Hidden Oracle, chapters 29 through 32, through the theme of devotion. So with that, it is my turn to summarize. So Ava, do you want to time him? I feel like it's sure, full send. I'll, yeah. I'll do it. <clears throat> Let me uh she's clearing the throat. I know. <laughs> I'm never the person who does it, so I'm very excited. All right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so they're in, they left the Mermica tunnel. They're in the Grove of Dodona basically now, but like outside. Um, And then boom, it's Nero. He played the fiddle while Rome burned. Um, That's all you need to know about him. Um, He's also like got an ugly beard, apparently. Um, And he has like two like big boys with him that are fighting. And what's the tea? Meg? his stepdaughter um it's a whole reveal did we see it coming absolutely was i still heartbroken absolutely um so meg and apollo open the grove the grove is a lot and then they uh escape basically kind of but nero escapes too slay that was good yeah there was so much that happened in these chapters no there was so i feel like the only detail that like you like that I feel the need to add is that the the, the missing kids were tied up. So yeah. we, have, we have knowledge on where the missing kids are. Yeah. But that, it, that, that's pretty much all that you needed to know. And it still didn't feel that important. Like I thought it, I just feel, didn't feel like the most important thing to say. Yeah. yeah. It's just such a subplot. Yeah. We are told that Nero is going to make them into human torches, which is a lot. Yeah. That's heavy. He's crazy. You're crazy, girl. Crazy. Crazy. (laughs) Uh, What songs did we bring this week? Okay, I'm ready. Um, (laughs) I brought Unknown by Hozier. Because, A, um, it's recent. And he keeps being very kind to us by by releasing um, songs from his album, every few weeks um so we don't die before it comes out in august but um it's literally all about like one of the lines is like some people are better unknown or like there are some people who are better unknown and like the bridge is um do you know i could break beneath the weight of the goodness i still carry for you and it's like all about meg's relationship with nero 
to me and like how manipulative he is, but how much she still like loves and respects him. Um, that I'd walk so far just to take the injury of finally knowing you. Like, it's so sad. And it just really, it felt like that relationship to me. Um, cause that was a punch in the gut. So yeah. Like, or, you first. Oh, you want me to go first? <laughs> yeah. I'm still beside between two. Um, okay. Mine is Lovecraft in Brooklyn by the Mountain Goats. Hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know, this is not really a fight scene, but it kind of is at the same time. It's just like, feels like a very climactic song in like an indie annoying way. Like, you know, and that felt That's really- That's just how I exist in an and indie like, annoying way. <laughs> um. Then, like, part of the chorus is when the sun goes down, the armies of the voiceless, seven, several hundred thousand strong, come out without out their bandages, their voices raised in song. It just feels very, like, it just really, the light lines about the sun felt very Apollo to me. Um, and, like, head outside most every day, try to keep the wolves away, imagine nice things I might say if company should come. It's just very, like... Damn, I like that. It's very, it's very poetic. I like the mountain goats. Their music is a little weird, but the lyrics are so poetic. Um, woke up afraid of my own shadow. I mean, like genuinely afraid. It's just all of it was really ringing true for me lyrically for uh, how Apollo's feeling in this book and the sound of that like little like indie rock, but a little quirky was really giving a battle scene in this book. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. I also like that. Guys, it's another Noah Khan song. I'm sorry. I was really oh, trying fine. to come He's, he's <laughs> I was really trying to come up with something else. That's why I was like, Brayden, you go first. Because <laughs> I was like, something else. Um, okay. It's, yeah, I'm just going to do it. Um, it's called Strawberry Wine. Yes. Great one. Great song. Great song. And I think it applies to both characters here, like in very different ways. I mean, both Meg and Apollo. Um, yeah, it's, it's also like going with like the folk sort of feel for this playlist that I feel like we should continue because the like deeply melancholy themes here are like so well like encapsulated by how most folk artists are are doing it these days and this one song just talks a lot about like um like betrayal and leaving the image of someone you thought you knew in the past which I feel like both of like Meg for sure is doing it in these chapters but so is Apollo and we'll talk about it but yeah yeah I also really like that song. Yay. I'm glad none of you clowned on me for it. No, no I like no. it. It just makes sense really, to you as well. It's really the only Noah Khan song I actually know, but... Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like you'd like... Well, I don't know, actually. Hmm. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know if you'd enjoy, but I think you probably would. I have a very wide taste in music. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. 
But there are certain folk songs that I feel like you find boring and I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to, we'll have to see. I prefer folky music that's a little more on the rock side. Then you'd probably like Hosier's newest album. I do like Hosier. I just don't actively listen to Hosier, you know? I I just will pull his, like I'm plugging his new stuff because it just seems like something you'd like the most out of the three kind of stuff he has out. I like his first album a lot. Me too. Yeah. I'm, I, I, my thing with like the like folk rock music is I don't have any particular artists that I particularly follow. I like a lot of individual songs. That's fair. Yeah. And I mm. feel like that is really tied up with the genre. Yeah. I agree. All right. What were our favorite moments? Favorite might be like a stretch with these chapters that are like supremely dark. Yeah, but. but they were really good. They were. I loved Peach's like little arc of like kind of coming to the defense, like of our yeah. little friends. Oh my god, it was so sweet. I was like, I don't think Peaches could ever make me emo. Um, <laughs> we didn't know that Peaches had it in him. But it, that was very endearing. It like sent me over the edge. I, you know, I still can't go over it a little bit, but I was also like, okay, word. Peach's redemption arc. Well, because at first I was like, oh my God, Peaches was evil the whole time. I knew it. Yeah. Like Peaches was kind of evil I... the whole time, but like also not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also not. It was like Peaches rides hard for Meg and like I respect that yeah yeah I also just like liked the tying up of the threads this was just a very well written climax that wasn't just a battle scene yeah actually like there was fighting in this scene but no one won it was about so much more about the emotional stakes and the actions, not like the capabilities of fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And it also set up like the series very well. Like while be being a climax for climax for this book, I was like, Ooh, this also just like, like opens up more plot lines for the series in a really cool way. Oh, for sure. The the nuances of Nero's character as well is really compelling. Mm-hmm. He like, sucks. And the idea of like how he got to where he is kind of being the fault of like humanity is like fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, I just, I'm already really liking him as a villain. Me too. Me. Especially, I think his humanity is really compelling in a way that he feels particularly grosser and more evil than Kronos or Gia. I mean, we'll get into that when we talk about the theme. Like, we like can speak of specific gross actions of his, both in the past and currently in the story, that are just, like, everyday people bad. Yeah. Um, and he's also distinctly, like, a human. Yeah. 
like described as just like a like you know skeezy old man human yeah which also makes it like so much like scarier yeah yeah it's yeah it's the humanity and death with which he's written is what makes it scary and then he feels much more like like a serial killer or mob boss mob boss i feel like a mob boss that's especially because like loyalty i mean we're gonna talk about it in the theme but like loyalty is so important to yeah it's it's very like i thought that from the first chapter with the thugs i was like this is giving like mob inner city crime i'm here for it i like this vibe it's very different and then the stuff when he was like uh one down 11 to go about the like killing apollo i was like this is really giving like a serial killer vibe that is also really scary and interesting in a way that's very different like chronos and gia are like super villains yeah yeah this is just a bad guy he's very street level yeah he is street level. yeah that makes him worse yeah also, like, what we talked about in the last series of, like, the villain being so big that it's, like, can you even conceptualize, right? You know, like, the threat? Like, this is, a, this is a very complex concept, yet the threat is really a much more easy to, like, understand. Yeah, I agree with that. It is very, like, Kronos was this god-like figure i'm just going to use god as like the archetype for these characters even like dismissing like gods versus titans whatever is a a god that is very human like wants to be a man in a way like has very human goals but is a god in a higher concept gia was just straight up like nature yeah everything is like the archetypes of conflict like that is man versus nature completely even though we're given a personification of nature it is man versus nature yeah Yeah. and then chronos is very man versus society i would say because chronos really chronos and luke are really embodying ideology yeah whereas nero feels very man versus man I agree. And I'm using those terms, man, as in like the literary concepts that we're just using man in a gender neutral way. Um, But that interpersonal conflict, it's so, so personal. They're literally relatives. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more compelling than the first series is compelling because they have individual relationships with Luke and it's interpersonal. Yeah. The Gia conflict is never that interesting because it's so beyond us. Mm-hmm. This is incredibly interesting because we're getting a really complex web of relationships right off the bat. Yeah. Like, obviously, the stepdaughter thing, but then Apollo also, like, watched the first downfall of all of these people, but, like, specifically Nero in these chapters. And, like, that, I actually... Favorite moments. I really liked that back and forth. That like the like I feel like the most climactic moment of it where Apollo's trying to like expose the past of what he's done and Nero's just like you know f- fending it off with different manipulation tactics. That was 
that was a good read. It felt like reading a tennis match. I was yeah, like, oh, true. It goes back to him, and it goes back to him. <laughs> so that was cool. It's really nice to have like verbal banter have such high stakes because that's such a big part of Rick's writing is the like the banter and the trying to worm your way out of something but it's never at these highly climactic moments so to bring it into one of these highly climactic moments that is mostly about like and now they're going to use their powers in a way that really synthesizes what they've learned over the course of this book all right i see where that comes from that's very like fantasy genre but this feels really more at the core of Rick's writing style and what he is attempting to accomplish with these books. Yeah. All right, let's take a break and then we'll come back to talk about the theme because I feel like we're so ready to go there. Yeah, literally. All right, devotion. Where do we want to go first? I would I would like to talk about Meg. Yeah. I'm going to put this out there now. A, I, a warning for the rest of the episode is we are definitely going to be discussing themes of familial abuse. Um, for sure. And if that is something that uh, concerns you, I would suggest turning off the rest of this episode and tuning back in next week. But it's such a, a big part of Meg's story that... Uh, we don't want to skirt around it. Yeah. Anyways, back back to our, our conversation about Meg. She is, it's just so like, let me, why did my thought just leave my head? The, the two, the fact that she believes that her stepfather and the beast are like two distinctly like different people i have so many more questions about that like don't get answered enough in these chapters and i'm sure they like eventually will but like that is so like it's just so interesting to me that she doesn't like she doesn't seem to want to either accept that or like doesn't seem to legitimately know she is quite little so like she might just literally think they are like two different people like object permanence might not be like the strongest yet in a 13 year old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't know if she knows that they can exist in the same room at the same time. That's just very interesting to me, like how successful, but I guess she has also like grown up like, as it seems just like kind of on her own with like fighting training and brainwashing from Nero. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is very clear that, we're not told exactly when Nero kills her father and and adopts her, but it's clear based on this behavior that it's really young. Yeah. And even more clear based on her fighting skills of like, she's like, I learned this from my stepfather. She is such an insane sword fighter that she clearly has been doing this a long time. Yeah which is so sad especially because a lot of these characters i think besides like annabeth starts really young fighting and that that also has to deal with the family trauma and and abuse at home i don't i don't know if we'd go far to say uh i don't know i think it's up 
there's been a lot of discussions on how good or bad Annabeth's relationship with with her family is. Um, but that that relationship really was drawn to mind by this relationship with Nero. Um, but it's so clear how much he's been manipulating her. And Rick never says this, but it is clearly physical abuse. Yeah. Based on the way this is written. It is, the beast is someone who hurts people physically. Because Nero is not, isn't pretending to be someone who's not mean and abusive with his words. Yeah. Yeah. So we are led to believe that the escalation of this is physical violence. Yeah. It also just reminds me a lot in a different way of Annabeth's relationship with Luke. Um, that was kind of my first thought when I was getting to the part where kind of the familial tensions were revealed uh, where like, like no matter what um, he does, like the younger like girl, either Annabeth or Meg just cannot see him completely as like an abusive, harmful person. Um, And we'll always, always, always see him in more of like the grayscale and like in general that's a very healthy ideology however in this situation it's just continuing to harm her and also i don't know i mean i was also gonna talk about the like the idea that like the beast and nero were separate things because like i don't even know how she came to that conclusion like he was a real person like i think there's a difference between like there's a difference between like different stories about the same myth and like maybe someone taking the place of someone else in a different telling of a myth this was a real person like you you can't do the same like you can't make excuses in terms of like vagueness of story and vagueness of identity with someone who lived a real life so it just it speaks i think again to how heartbreaking their relationship is it is like it is confusing to begin with in this world because we are in a world where like we could have a jackal and hide situation mm-hmm. but i think that's what makes the realization that apollo has which is as the narrator of this series we're meant to kind of take his word as like this is the the conclusion that he makes therefore is a conclusion we as the readers are making that there really is no difference between Nero and the Beast. This is just a a manipulation tactic for Nero to be like, you like me, but when I become the Beast, I'm a different guy and and you don't want to see what the Beast does to you. Right. And like, the, the weight of an unnamed threat is also really scary. Like, we're not told what the Beast does. Yeah. Can only assume what a gross older man is doing to this young girl. Mm, yeah. And 
which is really heavy and dark for this uh, young adult or mid-grade book. And I did not expect Rick to go this far. And maybe, and I don't think a younger audience reading this is going to jump that far into the conversation. But as an adult reader, like you can't help but read it that way. No, totally. Especially just like, just the little things of how like grimy and weird Nero was described, like in his like appearance even gave like, I don't know. It was like, it was like Gabe. But it was so much like Gabe and like, we were always, even when I was a kid, I was like, this man is abusive just based on like, you know, like the way that like he like talked and the way that they like described his like aura generally. (laughs) And that was just like a regular human person. So yeah, they do a really, he does a really good job at building a like truly disgusting (laughs) person for this scene to happen with. Yeah. Also like fall from grace sort of thing. Like that he used to be this like ultra powerful person. And now he's like kind of a mirage. (laughs) And Yeah. It is really interesting. I don't want to go there quite yet because I want to drive driven thread, but I will come back to the idea of how he stayed alive. But before that, I want to talk about the parallel that Apollo draws in that he's like, oh, this is what Zeus did to me. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. In that this has been something that has been alluded to throughout all of these books is how particularly bad Zeus is. Mm -hmm. And obviously in the myths, Zeus is flat out a, a rapist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to a point, all of the gods are. And that's just Greek mythology and antiquity and the way stories progress and develop and are translated. Beyond that, Rick doesn't really shy away from that personality in Zeus. It is, we're getting redemption and... uh, twists on the stories for other characters so that we can root for them like that we we can root for Poseidon and Percy because mm-hmm. we're told that Poseidon didn't assault Medusa that it was more consensual which is what you have to do in a mid-grade book right Zeus while Rick never says it flat out has always had that undertone of being not only like sexually and physically abusive, but we're never really told that outright. And now we've been told it outright, like 10 books later. <laughs> Literally. It's not shocking, but shocking at the same time. Yeah, it's it makes you think of like, I don't know. I'm not necessarily surprised that Rick said it. It's just kind of like a, what does it mean that he said it now? Yeah. It is painting Zeus a lot more clearly as a villain than he's ever been painted. So far, Zeus has been like 
oh, he's a bad guy. That's about it. Like it's he's a he's he's the king of the gods. He's not a great guy. He kind of abuses his power, but like, hey, that's what it is. This is a clear attack on Zeus in a way that really questions any validity of his position. Yeah. Which has always kind of been in question, but like it being spelled so outright here that yeah. like how he treated his children. Yeah. And how it's drawn a parallel between Nero and Meg and Zeus and Apollo is yeah. like really troubling. Yeah. I honestly find it fascinating that like Rick is almost like he's kind of assuming that obviously the readers of this book are kind of going to be the same as the readers who grew up in Percy Jackson, et cetera. Um, obviously with some fallout here and there, but like the idea that he is almost guiding his readers who've grown up with his books to second guess the characters that he wrote about. Like he's almost instructing young readers to critique the things that they love and the stories that they hear. And like, I love that. I think that's fascinating. And I think that's a really, really cool thing. Um, Kind of like making sure his readers know that like they have autonomy and to not always trust a narrator because you don't know everything. Yeah. I think it's a, a great lesson that he kind of pushes throughout these books is Learn how this these books I think actually teach you very well how to move toward critical analysis of things in yeah. that focusing around mythology and classical literature. We're meant to question what that means. Obviously, he goes in between more intentional and less intentional modes of that. Yeah. But this like I know that like I picked up a lot of skills from these original books on how to approach text in looking at point of view and acknowledging different sides of things. And while Rick in the beginning maintains the lines of, of good and bad a little bit, it is meant to show, we, we talked about this the entire first season of that black and white thinking into grayscale. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just, that was the theme of the first books, but I think that is a, a message that is more subtly emphasized throughout all of his writing. Yeah. In just the way he crafts character and plot. I agree. I totally agree. All right. Do we want to talk about Nero being a God emperor and like what that means? Sure. Yeah. Slay. It's weird. (laughs) true no but like in a really interesting way of like the internet stuff was was really interesting to me of like he's not being worshipped no there's not this devotion this cult this following of him but he's remembered in infamy Mm -hmm. which is very different than the way that we're led to remember everyone else, even the, like the the titans and the villainous gods and 
and the monsters aren't famous like infamously. No. It makes me think of Genghis Khan um, and how we remember Genghis Khan and the idea that like we all know that he was a really, really, really awful person. But the fact that we all still know who he is and give his story power by it being taught in history classes still to this day is fascinating because like it, it also reminds me of why cancel culture doesn't necessarily work because it's like the idea that like you can expose someone's flaws. They're still going to be talked about though. It is. It really gives credence to the idea that infamy is, uh, it is more lasting than fame. Yeah. It like, we talk about the villains of history way more than we talk about the heroes. Yep. I mean, depending on where you are, like, obviously, if you're in America, we're never going to stop talking about George Washington. But also, George Washington was a bad guy. Um, But in, like, terms of how history is framed, he is framed as a hero. Whereas you have, like, Lenin, Mussolini, Hitler, like, Nero, these, these Roman emperors, Genghis Khan, Benedict Arnold, like the the pretty much every king of Britain, like Henry <laughs> literally, um, these people are much more remembered because they did bad things, and it's really easy to name out what bad things that they did. Yeah, Napoleon. Like I can, you can probably keep you can go on for a long time listening like terrible people in history, but like even like recent history of like. Harvey Weinstein yep. was, was really effectively uh, canceled, I guess I would say. But I, th- that's beyond canceling because we're like in like legal territory. Yeah. But no one will ever stop talking about it. Right. And, and like King, Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Like, There's so, so many people in like the this modern day and age that have gotten even this week colleen ballinger people had basically stopped talking about her until she released a bad apology video that made her look bad and Mm -hmm. doubled down on like i was like i didn't think you were a child predator before but but now it's looking yeah yeah it's it's also wild because it's like the idea that like if someone is famous like there are a lot of famous people that are famous for reasons that I don't know why, but I just like know that they are. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm sure you got famous for some reason when people are famous for like, quote unquote, good reasons. You don't have to know why, but like when people are infamous, you always know why. Yeah. And so that's what I feel like contributes to like the lasting nature of infamy is like implicit in the definition of infamy is understanding why they're there. Yeah, it is like literally that concept of your reputation precedes you. Yep. And in this book, your reputation, I don't know why I can't say that word today, (laughs) uh, preceding you is what gives Nero this power to become godlike. Yeah. It's like Trump, honestly, is the best analog 
I have for this, which is crazy because this book, I think, came out in 2016 or 2015, like right around that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like it wasn't crafted in response to it. It was like, like concurrently. Yeah. Yeah. And like, also it made me think about how like, like stories, like there was a while in history that stories were only written about the gods or like royals or in turn like emperors, you know, like the, that they remain infamous or just like recognizable by name because they're the only stories that we have from certain time periods because there was like a while where it was not commonplace to like write down stories about people who weren't in these positions of power, which essentially put them like on not an equal playing field, but like in the eyes of people who would come see like plays or like, you know, like anything that was, like entertainment was only ever about the literal gods or them, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, all, all of the, those Greek plays are about our tragedies about leaders who failed. Yeah. Like we know, we all know what happened with Oedipus. Unfortunately. Which how much of that was his fault up for debate, but he did kill his father. That's so him. loaded. Please. <laughs> like, he did just kill someone on the road. But, like, also, in the time, it was kind of just what you did. So, like, <laughs> frankly, it was mostly an accident. People piss you off. Then you kill them. Just happens. That's and, a huge theme. In- and then you bang your mom. <laughs> Stab. Yeah, dude. He did. <laughs> He did. That's his whole thing. I, I know, I know. It's a, the vocabulary choice was just funny. No, I know. And it's it's odd because it's like also like I was watching this like historical fiction drama show before I left for Ireland and I still have to finish it. But um like one of the primary themes and something I love so much about how they structure the satirical nature of it is like the violence is insane. And it's like it's so much that it's almost slapstick because like at the time that's just what people did like someone called the emperor a bitch and he shot them like that it's it's just i don't know it's it's crazy so like that's a whole other thing of like in nero's time violence was so much more normalized yeah and like meg's empathy runs so deep that i think in theory that might partially be why she doesn't she like has so much trouble seeing him for who he is as cliche as that sounds yeah it's like these people like nero are remembered because they killed everyone else yep yep like there was no one else to write stories about because they killed them all is like the only person who's famous like for the reverse yeah for real all right time for sass moments sure I have mine. Go nuts. Meg looked down at her red sneakers, the primary colored shoes of a traitor. <laughs> the drama. I was like, I, he's, I, so, I, he's such a drama queen. He is. He really is my godly parent, huh? I, I love him. 
Mine is um, at the end of the chapters. What's going on? Austin asked. Also, where is my saxophone? Sensible questions. <laughs> I wish I had sensible answers. <laughs> so good. Where is your saxophone, King? <laughs> it's so good. I love it. Mine is also kind of near the end. Um, Meg, I pulled the brass wind chimes from my pocket and tossed them to her. Put these in the center tree. YMCA. Focus the grow's energy. YMCA. <laughs> Yeah, that it was, was truly like such a stupid song. Like I know that he was like, it's catchy, but I was like, and dumb, so like, funny. But like fair enough, you know? Yeah. Fair enough because Oh, I, I also have to oh you can finish. Oh, I was gonna say brief tangent. It was like also YMCA has been in my head recently because one day in Ireland I like set that song as my alarm by accident because I usually check and make sure that they're like normal sounds. Um because I was like living with someone else. Like I was, I had a roommate and so, <laughs> one day me and my roommate wake up at like eight in the morning and we wake up to like the da, 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 like loud ass. That song starts off so jarringly. That, that, that does sound a terrifying way to wake it's up. So jarring. And this girl literally, she turns to me and they're like half asleep super. And she goes, is this the fucking YMCA? <laughs> Also, as somebody who's lived with Ava, Ava sometimes has just the wildest songs play as alarms. And you're like, what the fuck is that at nine in the morning? Because it wakes you up. Yeah. And it's like, be prepared from the line. Or like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I have some weird ones. But yeah, so YMCA was just like really circul- like circulating my, my brain channels uh, recently. So that really spoke to me all right offerings Mm. (laughs) it's tough i i don't know i feel like i feel like i might gotta give it to apollo because i know that's what i was okay then i'll give mine to meg no, oh, I was between those two. Uh, I'm going to go off-road and give mine to Annabeth. Work. Yeah. It just reminded me of, like, her relationship with her family and also her relationship with Luke, so. That's real. That's very real. And then who do we vote off? Nero. Zeus. Oh, Actually, yeah, Zeus. I will go with Nero then because he also deserves yeah. a hard-hitting week. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we see Annabeth soon. Yeah. Nero's like, is- actually, weirdly, Nero's a villain that I feel like actually like deserves votes off. You know how we're always like, we don't want to just give the vote off to the villain. Like, no. You deserve yeah. this. He's yeah. gross enough. Also, we we have two other emperors we're going to meet at some point. Yeah. I fear. I fear. They can't be as bad. Like, I don't know how you get worse. Um, If I'm thinking one of them is who I think it is, it probably won't I be. Mean, I I think I know who the other two are, yeah. just like by osmosis. I don't know. And I think, well, one of them's pretty bad. I don't really know anything about the other. Yeah. 
But Nero is our, like, just like the relationship with Meg has already, like, I don't know if any character can surpass this and the burning, yeah. burning people as human torches yeah. um, is pretty, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Um, all right. That's all for this week. Join us next week where I'll be discussing on chapters 33 through 36. Make sure to follow us on social media. We are at Return to Camp on every platform that matters. And we also have a coffee account and a Redbubble store and a website, www.returntocamp.com. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>